Well, Hebron, it is great to be back among you. I uh, was born into this church, believe it or not, and um, I remember many a times getting off the school bus and walking to uh, the building up there and playing ping pong uh, with Jerry Zelstra. I always beat him whenever we played ping pong together, and uh, so grateful for Hebron's role in my life. In fact, I was thinking uh, about 25 years ago, uh, I was thinking about some of my friends who were in the student ministries here and what a huge impact the student ministries has had, not only in the students who were there, but also from that to the world around us. People like Lauren Sable, who's serving uh, in Cyprus. People like Mike McDonald, who's leading a church in Florida, or Dave Hendrickson, uh, Dan and Kelly Waitman, the list goes on, and I'm just kind of one of those that was caught up in that. And so it's a real privilege to be here with you today. I want to talk with you about your expectations of the future this morning. You know, expectations about the future, they're a pretty powerful thing, aren't they? We don't always think about them, we don't always state them, we don't always uh, speak them to one another, but we all have them. I have uh, three little kids, I have two boys and a, and a girl uh, named Sophia, and several months ago they were with our friends who were babysitting them, Bob and Viv Stone. And our daughter, Sophia, is seven years old, she's just delightful, and she was with Bob and she noticed that Bob's ring finger is cut off below the second knuckle. And uh, so he doesn't actually wear a ring. And so she was noticing that and, and she asked him, she said, you know what, Mr. Bobby, what happened to your finger? And uh, so he shared that it had gotten caught in a piece of machinery in shop class in ninth grade. And so she said, huh, it was in ninth grade. And he said, yeah. And so it was a short conversation. And after that, Sophia went back to playing with her two brothers and Viv and Bobby and and so I eventually came with my wife, Allison, to pick our kids up from, from their house. And as we were driving back to our house, Sophia seemed a little discouraged. She seemed a little despairing. And so I asked her, I said, Sophia, is everything okay? And when I asked her that, she kind of burst out in kind of like tears and said, Daddy, I don't want to go to ninth grade. Please don't make me go to ninth grade. And that, that seemed like a weird thing to be worried about, you know, because she's only in second grade. And so I'm like, why is she so concerned about going to ninth grade? And I said, you know, Sophia, why do you want to go to ninth grade? And she replied, because that's the grade when the shop teacher makes you cut off your fingers. <laughs> what we can expect to have happen in the future is a powerful thing, isn't it? We can be in the middle of a perfectly great day, everything going well, but if you think your future includes a day where your shop teacher makes you cut off your fingers, all of a sudden your day right now is going to be a little bit more anxiety-filled, a little bit more worried-filled. But the reverse is true as well. You could be in the midst of your hardest day, the most despairing day, your greatest challenge in your life, and yet if you think the future will be different, it can give you the power to import grace and peace because of that. So I'm going to ask you this question this morning. What do you expect God to do in the future of your life? In the hours that you leave this place, in the weeks and months, maybe even years that you might have in, left in your life. If God really poured out His Spirit on you, what would be fair to expect of Him and fair to expect to happen from your life this week, this month, this year. Well, I want to walk through the scriptures. I'm going to tell you what you can expect to have happen, why you can expect it, and why it has the power to change everything as it happens. We're going to consider that, but before we do, let's pray. So God, we thank you for your goodness. We've sung about it, and we've even prayed. And so now, God, 
as we come to your word, would you speak to us about it? Would you help us, God, to have our expectations set on you, the one who holds our past, who holds our present, and holds our future? And God, we pray that you would pour out your spirit on us and that you would make us bold and courageous. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know all of you, but if you are here investigating faith this morning, excited that you're here. If you are new to faith, excited that you've made that recent commitment. And if you're somebody who's followed Jesus for many years, we're excited you're here as well. And I want to ask you that question, what do you expect to happen if God would pour out His Spirit upon us? If I had to boil it down to just one answer, this would be it. That we would expect that we would lead arrows out lives together. There's a guy named Dr. Howard Hendricks, and he said it this way. He said, this is your life, and he he drew a circle. And so I have two circles up here. And he went to the first circle, and he said, if all of the indication arrows of your life are pointing inward, all of your dreams, all of your creativity, all of your finances, all of your prayers, all of your hopes, all of your expectations, all of your mental energies, if they're all pointing inward, towards your life, he said, then you are in the process of dying. But, he said, if this is your life, this kind of circle, and and the mental energies, the prayers, the hopes, the dreams, are the indicator arrows are pointing outward, then you are in the process of growing. Now, here, here's the problem with me, and I think with many of you as well. The default setting of the human heart is an arrows in reality. If you're like me, then your default setting tells you to keep your arrows, your time, your energy, your money, your creativity, your leadership, your care and compassion pointed in on you. Because if you don't do that, who will? And arrows in doesn't just happen to individuals. It can happen to entire churches. But does God really care which way the arrows of our life Our pointing, or investigation of that, begins in the book of Genesis. Arrows out was one of God's earliest commands to Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, it says this, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and master it. And so that begins to happen, but what spread out was not God's rule, but rather our evil. And so as you continue through Genesis, you come ten chapters later to chapter 11, And we find ourselves at something called the Tower of Babel. Now, at this point, people have traveled a bit east, but not too far. So God has given an arrows out command, but people are more interested in gathering together rather than scattering. We pick the story up there in Genesis 11. It says this. At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. They began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. And then they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. And so you see here a conflict between the human heart's agenda and God's agenda for us. Our agenda is to settle and to not be scattered. The Tower of Babel is the human attempt to deal with sin by simply being together. 
God's command was to move out, but in our fear, we start hunkering down. And when the human heart is controlled by sin, our agenda is to build walls, to build towers, to build monuments to ourselves. Arrows in, not arrows out. But God is not a passive God, and He doesn't take this rebellion passively. And so, from Genesis, we read this, But the Lord came down and looked at the city and the tower the people were building, and God then gives them different languages, and that way, God scattered them all over the world. Now, one chapter later in Genesis 12, as the story of Genesis continues, after many failed starts, we have the story of a guy named Abram, who later his name is changed to Abraham. And God says to him, These words, leave your country, go, leave your people, your father's household, go to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. See, arrows out was God's agenda for Abraham. Arrows out is God's agenda This morning for you and for me, his word is the same. Go be a blessing. All peoples of the earth, close and far, near and distant arrows out. Now, my problem is, and I would bet some of your problems as well, is that I like the middle part of what God says to Abraham, where he says, God will bless me and make me great. I like that. That's good news to me. But the first part says, go. And the final part says that I will bless you so that what? So that all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Our problem is that left to our own devices, we always settle into an arrows in life rather than a arrows out blessing, serving, giving away good news of this God. What's good news today is that God doesn't leave us to ourselves. 2,000 years ago, God initiated his last best effort to help us lead an arrows out life when he sent his spirit to indwell his followers on what was called Pentecost. Acts chapter 2 tells us the story. It says this, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting in one place and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house that they were sitting in. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At this time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages spoken by the believers. And they were completely amazed and they said, how can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. You see the reversal that's happening here. God's answer to Babel is Pentecost. God's answer to Babel is Pentecost. Pentecost is the divine reversal of Babel. Pentecost takes God's heart and places it in our heart, His Spirit infusing with our spirit. And when that happens, we have the birth of an arrows-out people and an arrows-out community that is known as the church. 
at Pentecost, instead of gathering in the Tower of Babel to build monuments to our name, we now see the Spirit scattering His good news into all the different nations by this divine work. And now they're not so concerned about making their name famous. Their message is about making the name of Jesus famous. God's original and current agenda is the same. That all the people of the earth will be blessed. So what happens when God pours out His Spirit on the community of Acts? For the first time in history, God has a people, the local church, who begin to wrestle and question and attempt in very faltering ways to lead arrows out lives together. Not perfectly, but attempting it and saying, we're going to try to do this together. We're going to hold one another accountable to this together. And if you're a follower of Christ this morning, you are part of that community. And we need to wrestle and, and, and pray and question and attempt in our own faltering lives to lead arrow out lives together. So how do we do that? Or if you're already doing it, how do we keep doing it? With the time remaining, let me mention the ways that we can do that. Some of the stories uh, that have been happening in L.A. that Doug asked me to share a little bit about. Believing that God will use what's happening there to stir up what God wants to do here or what God is already doing here to continue to compel it to be arrows out. There's three things I want to challenge you to if you want to lead an arrows out life. The first one is this. Begin to pray arrows out prayers in your own individual life. When I look at my prayer journal from years ago, there's so much of it that was centered on me and myself and my needs and my decisions. And God, what do you want me to do at this crossroads? It was me, 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 me. Or, or maybe it went to just people in my family. God, help just those people that are right in my family. But it didn't go much further than that. But years ago, God began to kind of shift some of those prayers and make more space for arrows out prayers together. One of the things I've learned through traveling through various parts of the world is that American Christians tend to pray differently than Christians in other parts of the world. Did you know that? We tend to pray prayers like, God, would you make me safe? But when I'm with Christians in other parts of the world, they tend to pray the prayer, God, would you make me bold? And I think they might actually be more biblical in some ways. In fact, the two most common prayers in the book of Acts that the local church prayed was for the Holy Spirit to be poured out and for courage to be bold in reaching out to others. Now, you don't have to go across an ocean to be an arrows out person. Sometimes you just have to go across the street or go across the boardroom or go across the classroom as an act of courage and boldness. A number of years ago, a few of us in L.A., and remember, I'm just a kid who grew up in Penn Hills. What am I doing in L.A.? I don't know. And uh, so I'm there, and we started praying this prayer because we saw it in the Scriptures. God, would you pour out your Spirit on us and make us bold? And I began regularly to pray for my neighbors, and uh, one of my neighbors is from India, and they're Hindu, and one of my other neighbors is Mormon, one of my other neighbors is uh, Armenian, and so there's kind of the nations are all like right there in my little neighborhood. And, and I was praying, and, and nothing noticeable happened for months. And then one day I met a woman whose name was Rita, and she's friends with our son Caleb, her, her oldest boy is friends with our son 
Caleb, and we were making small talk, and she said, Tom, what do you do for a living? This is the first time I've met this woman. She had met my wife some and, and met Caleb some. And I told her, you know, that I'm a pastor of a church, and that's always kind of, you don't know how people are going to respond. They're either going to really love you when you say that, or they're going to hate you, you know, when you say that. And, and so I kind of said, I'm a pastor of a church, and this is what she said. She said, ha, I knew it. And then she said this. She said, recently I had a dream where a divine being, I don't know if it was an angel or God or what, appeared to me and told me to stay close to you and your family and that you would teach me how to know God. And so that woman, Rita, she's come to Christ and she's become part of the church I lead, Christian Assembly, and she's been baptized. And you might be thinking, man, if my neighbor said, hey, I had a dream, you know, you're supposed to tell me about Jesus, it'd be easy for me to do that as well. Well, her husband is a pediatric neural oncologist at UCLA, and he doesn't yet believe in Jesus. And we meet about once every two months to have dinner just to talk about faith. And he hasn't yet come to Christ. Our next meeting is coming up in a couple weeks. But what's interesting is he's sharing with one of his other friends at UCLA, who's also a pediatric neural oncologist, who's an atheist. And that guy, his name's Joe, said, can I come to your next dinner? Because I want to sit in on your conversations as well. So sometimes God just kind of does that as a moment in time. And sometimes when you pray arrows out prayer, you commit to begin the process with people to help them move towards this guy, Jesus. There's, a, there's another guy in our church. He's a pretty straight-laced guy, button-down guy. He's from Texas. He wears cowboy boots in L.A. and uh, speaks with a southern drawl. And, and one day, he was uh, befriending some people in our neighborhood, the neighborhood of the church where we're at. And he got to know a couple that was a lesbian couple. And so they, you know, developed this friendship, he with his family and, and they with theirs. And and so he was sharing about Jesus a little bit, just talking about kind of what an impact that has made in his life. And, and so they invited him over and they said, well, would you come to our house? We want to hear more about this Jesus. And he's like the slowest talking Texan you could ever imagine, you know. And he goes and he sits with uh, these two women and he shows up at the house and it's a, kind of a cinder block house and it's a multi-generational house. And and there's a little boy there, one of their uh, nephews, and he's holding a Rottweiler. And, and they're like, come on in, Matt, come on in. And, and the little boy's like 12, and he's got the Rottweiler, and he's kind of struggling, like holding the Rottweiler. And, and the Rottweiler's like, rrr, 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 and, you know, and Matt's like, you know, could you put the dog in the back of the house or something? So, so they do. They put the dog in the back of the house, and, and he starts talking with them a little bit about Jesus. But there were so many people around, it was noisy. So he decided to walk and go out to the porch. He said, could we go out to the porch? And there's a little baby gate there in front of the screen door. And so he starts walking towards the screen door. And as he does that, he hears somewhere in the back of the house, a door slamming open going wham. And then he hears the sound of dog toenails on a hardwood floor running down the hallway towards him barking. And so Matt starts running towards the screen door, tries to open the screen door, tries to get his foot over the baby gate, and the Rottweiler come and bites him right here. And they, of course, the two women, they feel horrible, and they pull him off, the dog off, and, and he gets across, you know, and, and they come out, and they're like, well, we'll have to, you know, talk about this another time. We feel so horrible. And, and this is what he said. He said, I've been praying for you for six months that God would give me a chance to be courageous and bold. A dog bite seems like a really great time to be courageous and bold. He said, I'll go get a tetanus shot. But can I first tell you about Jesus? He sat with them on their front porch and he told them about Jesus. 
And they decided there to commit their lives to Christ, fully knowing that they would need to dissolve their relationship, which they did. He's just a guy praying, would you use me in my own neighborhood? He's just a guy praying and arrows out prayer for courage and that God's spirit would pour out on him and that God would use him in whatever way he sees fit. These are just everyday people in our church. There's another two guys, they're firefighters, and they started praying that prayer. God, would you pour your spirit out on us, and would you make us bold and courageous? And so they started a Bible study in their firehouse, and we just baptized one of their friends who had just come to Christ. In fact, last weekend we baptized 20 people who recently had come to Christ. And as they shared their stories of coming to Christ, I noticed how many of their stories In fact, all of them included someone who took a risk to reach out to them in some way. To maybe invite them to come be part of what we're doing or maybe to just invite them to be in their life and get to see what it's like to be around a follower of Christ. So if you're a Christ follower this morning, I want to ask you, do you expect God to use you? This week, do you expect God to give you opportunities to reach out to those around you? My theory is basically this. If you are not dead yet, then God is not done with you here yet. That's kind of my theory on this whole thing. My theory is if you are not dead yet, then God has someone around you that he wants you to be the person to bring blessing to all the nations in the name of Jesus. His Agenda is an arrows out agenda. Do you expect him to use you this afternoon, this Tuesday, this Wednesday or Thursday? Maybe you feel afraid. Maybe you don't know what to do. Well, join the club. Begin with this prayer. God, would you pour out your spirit on me? Would you make me bold and courageous to reach out to others in Jesus's name? And then look for and expect for him to give you opportunities to do that. You don't have to always cross an ocean to reach out. Sometimes you just have to cross the street. So first, pray arrows out prayers in your individual life together. Second would be this. Pray arrows out prayers for your city together. The book of Acts that we read from, it's comprised of 70 different stories. That's really kind of what makes up the whole book of Acts. 70 different stories, and 20 of the stories are stories of inwardness or refinement or nurturing of the community, which means more than 50 of the stories in the book of Acts are stories of people reaching out to those who are near or far who don't yet know God. And so when you begin to expect that God wants to use you and use this church in increasing ways, then you realize that we don't go out to the world to save it and then ask God to join us. God has already gone out to the world to save it, and He's asking us to join Him. And when we do that, we are always junior partners with the Almighty God. We must always be careful, if you're a Christian, That we are not trying to get out of what God is trying to get into. Namely, the world. We have to be careful that we're not trying to get out of what God is trying to get into. You know the verse, for God so loved the world, that what? That He gave His Son. That that His Son was coming into the world. God's trying to get into the world. And so many Christians I know are just waiting to get out of it. We must be careful that we don't become a church filled with people who love Jesus but don't love what Jesus loves. So we wanted to find ways into our city and 
And our prayer was really a question, and this was our question. If we moved out of this city there in Los Angeles and in our neighborhood, would anyone who does not attend our church know or even care? That was kind of our prayer question to God. And and from that prayer, there was just a little group of us, about 10 of us praying. God used a 27-year-old female to start a mentoring program of at-risk kids at a local public elementary school that started with five kids being mentored by five adults on the school campus. And we now, fast forward, have 75 at-risk kids who are mentored every single week by 75 adults in our church who just go to the local elementary school and mentor them in things like math and reading and all the rest. In fact, now there are six other churches in the area who have picked that up. And so there are actually hundreds of at-risk kids that are being mentored And we're seeing families who are now coming and being part of the churches and they're coming to know Christ as a result of that. What's so shocking to me about this woman, she's 27 years old, but she grew up as an at-risk child. And now God has positioned her to help at-risk children. And, And that shows me something, that your greatest arrows out opportunity might grow from the soil of your suffering. Some people say to me, well, I don't know what my ministry should be, and I don't know really how to do arrows out. Here's a little clue for you. What is the misery that is in you that God wants to transform to the ministry from you? Maybe you lost a loved one recently, and and that sorrow and that suffering over time can give you compassion to reach out to others in the neighborhood, in the city, who have lost loved ones. Or or maybe you're an at-risk child, and now you have a heart to begin to do that. And reach out to other at-risk children. We have another woman in our church. She grew up in the L.A. County foster system and was never adopted. Can you imagine that? Never being adopted. She was emancipated from the system. They basically said, you're 18, we're done with you, good luck. And so now she's married and, and uh, she went to college. And, and um, she always had a heart, though, to reach back into that system. And so about a year ago, there was a little girl that was born under a freeway, under the 405 freeway, from a homeless woman and left there to die. And that little girl's name is Caroline. And Caroline was adopted by this woman and her husband who had never been adopted. Her greatest misery became her greatest arrows out ministry. Or we got another guy, he's a chemical engineer, he dismantles chemical weapons for a living, and he started to have a heart to pray this arrows out prayer. And so he went to the poorest part of our city in Los Angeles, which is called Skid Row. It's the highest concentration of homeless people west of the Mississippi. And he just walked around and prayed. And then he started giving out McDonald's coupons. You know those like $1 coupons that they have that you can give out? And so he started doing that. And over the years now, it's kind of migrated and evolved. And now we have a team of 60 people who grow every Sunday morning and serve 400 homeless people a warm breakfast, pray for them, help them get connected to job training and drug rehabilitation, and the list goes on. And it all began with one guy who's not a pastor. He's a chemical engineer who just prayed, God, what do you want me to do in this city? Or about 18 months ago, some of our leaders began to pray about our church. And our church is landlocked and running out of space. And and, uh, that's a a good problem, but it's a problem nonetheless. And so we started praying this arrows out prayer. And one night I was putting my daughter to bed and she picked a Bible story out of this children's Bible version. And I was kneeling next to the bed and it's the story where Paul gets knocked down on the ground. 
And, and in that version of the Bible, Jesus says to Paul, uh, get up, go into the city, and there you'll know what to do. And, and as I was kneeling next to the bed, I, I remember feeling like, I think the Holy Spirit's saying that's for me. Like, I don't know if the Holy Spirit's allowed to speak out of this version of the Bible, like the, the children's storybook Bible. I don't know if that's like an authorized version he's allowed to use. But I got up, I flipped open my calendar for the next morning, and sure enough, I had to drive down to where the skyscrapers were in our city. And I met a guy that I had never met before. We had scheduled the meeting months in advance. Somebody else set it up, said we should meet. And I thought it was just to meet another pastor in our city. And he shared his vision of planning 119 churches in Los Angeles. That's one church for every neighborhood in L.A. And for every church we plant in L.A., to plant one with the global poor as well. And so we began to kind of get into that and began to pray like, Lord, is this what you want us to do? And so we've now set about getting involved in that. And so we've launched the first church plant in the poorest neighborhood in L.A. We launched it with 100 people. It launched in January. And that just came out of one prayer. Just praying, God, what do you want us to do in the city? The second plant launched in Burbank. And that started with 185 people on Palm Sunday. The third plant is going to be by UCLA. And that's going to be launching early in 2014. In fact, we have 20 local churches that have come together from eight different denominations to plant these independent non-denominational churches. We've already begun the funding for plant four, five, six, and seven. And the point of all of that is all of that was not on a strategic whiteboard. All of that just began with a prayer. God, we want to pray an arrows out prayer for our city. Look, God's mission is too big for any of us to accomplish all on our own. None of us can do it all, but all of us can do something. And none of us can do what all of us can do and accomplish together. Are you willing to play your part? Pray arrows out prayers for your city. Do what God asks and expect him to do more than you first expected through your life. That brings me to the third and final prayer, which is this. Pray arrows out prayer for the ends of the earth. God's agenda to bless all the nations begins with your individual life, but it goes to the ends of the earth. About five or six years ago, some of us started praying, God, what is our responsibility as a local church to the parts of the world that have restricted access to the gospel? And we didn't have an answer to that. We just knew that there were parts of the world who had not yet heard of Jesus. And we were like, are we supposed to like just collect an offering and write a check? Or what do you want us to do? And, and slowly God began to connect us to some remarkable leaders. One of them is a Vietnamese guy, which is one of uh, Vietnam's one of the five remaining communist countries on the planet. And they jam any Christian radio and they kill pastors in Vietnam. And the other one is a guy who's working in Iran. He's a guy that came to Christ out of a Muslim background. And, and Iran's been in the news recently. You'll know it's an Islamic theocracy. Well, God's been working in both countries in amazing ways through these guys. And we've had the privilege to partner up with them. In fact, in Vietnam right now, more than a half a million people through a digital distribution system that's underground with the persecuted church, more than a half a million people are receiving Bible teaching every single week that's being translated and unjammable because of the system this guy has set up. Or, for example, in Iran, I didn't know this, but David, my friend, told me this, and he shared that, do you know that in the last 10 years, Elam Ministries, which Elam is the Old Testament name for Iran, Elam Ministries has distributed 1 million New Testaments in Iran. There are now 450,000 Christians in Iran. 
It's becoming so troubling for the Iranian government that he showed me a clip of the state news agency telling everybody to not read the New Testament because it's full of lies. And when you tell people anywhere to not do something, guess what happens? Everybody wants to read the New Testament. So they're in the middle of doing the funding for the next million New Testaments they're going to print and distribute. And so we've partnered with them. We've said, look, we can do that. And, and I said, what does that look like? And he said, it costs us five bucks to print and get a New Testament in there. And so I just said to our church, like, hey, if you have five bucks, like, let, like send a New Testament to Iran. And so we just sent uh, 10,000 New Testaments into Iran from our little local church in Los Angeles. We're partnering with what God is doing in the nations. And I know Hebron does that. I know Hebron does that all around the world. And so I want to say, well done. But we can continue to do that in even greater ways. In fact, just two months ago, I received a photograph of 287 Iranians who were baptized in Turkey at a pool. It is the largest gathering uh, largest baptism of Iranians since the 4th century. 287 people. And I get to be part of that. And you get to be part of that too now. You get to pray for the nation of Iran to be changed. You know what's so interesting? The U.S. State Department doesn't know what to do with Iran. But Iran doesn't know what to do with the gospel. The U.S. State Department doesn't know how to handle Iran, but Iran doesn't know how to handle the good news of Jesus Christ and how it's beginning to transform their country from the inside out. Let me close with this. An old seminary professor was once asked in an interview if he was afraid that his students would go out from his classroom and fail. And this is what he responded in the interview. He said, fail? Heavens, no. One of my greatest fears I have for my students is not that they will fail, but that they will go out and succeed at the wrong things in life. God is a God on a mission. He's an arrows out God looking for an arrows out people who will partner with his arrows out agenda. Do you expect God to tap you on the shoulder and use you this week in your normal everyday life? If not, why not? If you do expect that God wants to use you, then you will start to pray prayers that are arrows out prayers, expecting God to answer them in your everyday normal life. Our culture has a saying, don't get your hopes up. But in the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's a new saying, saying, get your hopes up in Jesus' name. Expect that God wants to use you right here, right now where you are. Begin or continue to pray arrows out prayers for your neighborhood for your school, for your city, for the nations, and ask God to pour out His Spirit upon you and upon this church. And ask God, like the book of Acts does, ask God to make you bold and courageous in reaching out in Jesus' name. And as you do, may you experience the peace and joy of being part of seeing God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your goodness. And we join with the early church, and we pray as well, pour out your spirit and make us bold. God, I pray that you would fill our lives with stories of reaching out, of people coming to know you, of people being served by the generosity of this church, people in our individual lives, people in our neighborhood, people in our city, and people in the world around us. God, Hebron Church has such a legacy of being an Arrows Out church. I'm only here, Lord, to fan that flame. And I pray, God, you would continue to do it. That, Lord, you would call this community even more to be arrows out. 
to be part of your agenda. Go. Be a blessing. Near and far. All the peoples of the earth. It's fair to expect that this is what God has in store for you. In Jesus' name, amen.